0: hey everyone it's Marie with locked in and you are watching our video podcast breaking bread where we meet at the table and have meaningful conversations with those who've been affected by our justice system make sure to hit subscribe like and leave comments on the video you can also take us on the road with you by hearing us on anchor google Podcasts, as well as spotify our guest today some of the highlights that he's going to be talking about is how he found religion while incarcerated, and what it's like being a Muslim, and what we can be able to do in society to not have that fear. As well as, he's going to talk about how the governor denied his border parole hearing or his release, shall I say, and how he did it on not legal purposes. And so, he'll get into that, as well as what he's doing in our community now that he's been um, out of the prison system. So, let's go watch his podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Breaking Bread. I'm Dee Marie, and our very special guest with us is James. James, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Why don't you tell You're us welcome. a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your life, how you grew up, and then what you did to get incarcerated.
1: All right. So my name is James Morel. Uh, actually, it's pronounced Murrell, but most people when they read it, they pronounce it Morel. Yeah. So I get get used to just. Uh, Going with that? Yeah. Right. Um, I was born, I was actually born and raised in Pomona, California. Right. Mm. Uh, but my family, my mother and father, are, my mother's family was from Banning, California. And my father's family is from Palm Springs, California. And that's where I grew grew up mostly, right, between Pomona and uh, Palm Springs. Um Grew up in a very large family. In fact, I think I may have one of the biggest families in Palm Springs mm. and Banning. Uh, my mother has uh, 17 brothers and sisters. Wow. Right. Uh, the Murrows in Palm Springs is a very well-known family, you know, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are one of the biggest families in that whole region out there. Um, I grew up in, uh, playing sports. uh you know, a fairly uh, good kid, so to speak. Um, I Say around 12 or 13 is where all my uh, mischievousness started to take place. Uh, I have an older brother, he was already a gang member, uh, already selling drugs, uh, heavily involved in drug activity and uh, I pretty much followed his footsteps. Uh, even though he didn't want that lifestyle for me, he did everything he could to, you know, try to steer me away from it. Mm. But at the same time, how are you going to steer me so- away from something that you are yeah. so heavily involved exactly. in? Exactly. So uh, I got into the gangs probably around 13, 14 years old. Uh, by the time I was 15, uh, I was full fledged. I was already in it. Um, wasn't no talking me out of it. Wasn't no steering me away from it. Um mm. uh, you know what I'm saying? I had already been in the juvenile hall, you know what I'm saying, a number of occasions prior to that. And all that I did was just really just solidify myself, you know what I'm saying, in that lifestyle. Um, by the time I was 18, uh, I haven't seen a full year on the street. Between 15 and 18, I didn't see a full year on the street. I was always in and out of jail mm. um, due to, you know what I'm saying, some form of violence, carrying weapons. Uh, something and then by the time i was 19 i was in prison for uh 19 a life for a double murder um and i sat in prison for 25 years before being released
0: hmm. um, what was it about that gang lifestyle that attracted you Uh,
1: so it was it was two things right so um the very first thing is is that um uh, the camaraderie, right? I just watched my brothers with his homeboys and how close knit they were, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? I remember, you know what I'm saying, whenever one of my home whenever one of my brother's homeboys, you know what I'm saying, was, you know what, I'm saying, at odds with his uh family members, they would always come. He would always come stay with us. Right. And the only reason why that would happen is because how him, how close him and my brother was. So just seeing that type of camaraderie, you know what I'm saying? they all looked out for each other. You know what I'm saying? If one of them ate, all of them ate. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if one of them fought, all of them fought. Right. Uh, you know, if one of them needed some clothes, some money, whatever they needed, food. Right. You know what I'm saying? All of them would make sure that they you know what I'm saying that he so it's had it's like a family right you know what I'm saying so just seeing that type of camaraderie right and then not only that while I was growing up at the time I grew up when I actually start really really witnessing some of these things you know crips were famous uh back then right you know what I'm saying so people used to you know what I'm saying call the crips and you know what I'm saying tell ask crips to come up to the park while their children were having a birthday party, and they wanted the Crips just to, you know, to make sure that nobody come in the park and do anything stupid or do anything wrong, mm-hmm. right? So you either loved Crips or you hated Crips, right? Because if you if you loved them, it's because they came to your aid at some point in time, and if you hated them, it's because they was actually pushing you out of you know what I'm saying uh a particular neighborhood or a particular party or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? So just seeing that type of influence, that type of power, right, had a very large influence on me, so I always wanted to be that. Yeah, right.
0: And how was your family life growing up? Was there something that was maybe missing, or anything that that was why you kind of were steered more to this this family of the mm-hmm. streets, or was family great and you still were just attracted to the streets? Well,
1: so in the beginning, mm-hmm. it was great, right? You know, what I'm saying my my mother and father were you know what I'm saying married. My mother and father were married for seventeen years um and our family was very close knit and we even had cousins that stayed with us they were like my brothers and sisters so you know what I'm saying we had a it was it was a very good family very tight family um right around the age of 13 14 right is when my mother and father you know what I'm saying split up mm-hmm. right and i think that had a very large Impact mm-hmm. on the decision I made to join the gang. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here you are 19 um, and sentenced to 19 to life for mm-hmm. a double murder. What was prison like for you?
1: So um, I always say that uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. Um, could I experience all of that You know what I'm saying, without committing the crime that I committed? You know, probably not, but I still wouldn't trade it, right you know what I'm saying i I really like the person that I am today, and I think the reason why you know what I'm saying I like the person I am today had a lot to do with you know what I'm saying what I experienced while I was in prison
0: and and what was that what right? was that experience so some
1: of the things is is uh it's not all just violence, mm-hmm. right, you know what I'm saying, even though violence is a heavy element, right um. Even some of like some of my first teachers in prison, they made sure that I knew how to protect myself while in prison, right? But they also knew made sure that I knew how to hurt somebody, right, when need be too. Mm-hmm. Right. And just, you know what I'm saying, uh I watched older brothers in prison teach younger brothers in prison how to read and write. Uh I watched these brothers, you know what I'm saying, teach younger brothers. You know, what I'm saying the benefits of being an intellectual, being smart, uh, making sure that you are physically fit, right? Emotionally, uh, founded, spiritually founded, right? I watch these brothers. You know, what I'm saying pretty much shape and mold us into the men that we are, mm-hmm. right?
0: What, 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 why is there so much? say violence why do you have to protect yourself in prison why is there so much turmoil inside you know you you would think that you know when somebody gets incarcerated you know it's that wake-up call to like Mm -hmm. okay i've been doing something wrong this is the time to not why is there always still that constant violence that's inside
1: well so i think it's, it's 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 more um it's, it's, there are many dynamics to that right I think the first thing is is just you know'm saying just to uh, come with gang that gang lifestyle to begin with um, were, you still do, were you still a you crip still, inside? You, okay. you, 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 you don't stop being a crip until you actually, you know what I'm saying, pull yourself away from that, mm. right? So, you know what I'm saying, uh, coming in already with the gang mentality, you take that in, into prison with you, mm-hmm. right? And then you are among the majority of the population who also have that same mentality. So that brings about, you know what I'm saying, a certain level of violence. Yeah. Um, and then you throw in the racial element with it, Right more violence and then you throw in a political element with it more violence and then you would throw in just the fact that you know what I'm saying you don't you are caged up and confined right you know what I'm saying you have all of this stress that goes on with that and then you know that just breathe just breathes more and more violence mm-hmm. right so then that that uh is one of the reasons why uh, the violence is just a uh, well, just a part of prison. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Was there the re- rehabilitation the R in CDCR while you were incarcerated?
1: That didn't come until later. That okay. didn't come until later on in my sentence. The first I I'll say I'm gonna say the first uh, fifteen years they they didn't have the R on the back of CDC. Hmm. Right? It was just CDC. Right? They parted I say probably about fifteen. Fifteen years in is what they actually. Matter of fact, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor when they came with the R. Mm-hmm. I think I had already been in prison maybe about 12, 13 years when he became mm-hmm. uh, the governor.
0: And so those 12, 13 years, you're still um, doing the gang life uh, and everything like that. Everything you don't have that came repellent. with it. Yeah. So when the R came in. Was that kind of the the switching point for you where you didn't want to be a gang member anymore no. and wanted to change? How, where, so where I will say happen? this,
1: right? CDC had nothing to do with my rehabilitation okay, at all, right? Of course, they offered the groups and the classes that helped me mm-hmm. rehabilitate myself, mm-hmm. right? But it was actually those brothers, those same brothers I was just talking about in prison, actually those same brothers mm. who, you know what I'm saying, got me to actually think a little differently. Right, I remember uh, I could recall one conversation I had with a brother I had just gotten out the hole. I'm in Centinella, uh State Prison, and um, he had asked me, "He's like, man, why did you? you know what I'm saying, why are you just getting out the hole? Last time I seen you, you was going down to a level three, right?" So I told him what that took place, and I explained everything that happened to him. Right, And he sat there and he listened to me for a while, right, and then after I was done talking, man, he said, "Man, uh, look around you." Right. So we sitting out there on the yard. Right. And he say, man, look around you. And he said, we expect that. You know what I'm saying? From these dudes. Right. He said, man, but you kind of smart. Right. You know what I'm saying? We expect something different from you. Right. He said, man, you don't allow, you know what I'm saying, this prison life to be your, you know what I'm saying, your life. Right. That just changed my whole perspective of things. Mm. Right. And ever since then, I've been working to be something different, something better. Than what I was, mm-hmm. right? Just that conversation right there. I wasn't expecting that conversation from him, yeah, right. But he was someone that knew me when I was young, when I first came into prison. He seen me, actually watched me grow up in prison, and he, you know, talked to me in a way that I needed in order to uh, change my perspective, mm-hmm. change my mentality.
0: How many years did you end up serving?
1: Twenty-five years. 25. Well, twenty-four years and nine months. Okay. Yeah.
0: And did you um, have any? Uh, and how were you? Did you? Was it the programming that you did um, that helped to be able to get you released? Or
1: yes. Okay. All right. So it was two things. Uh, first thing is, I didn't I stopped committing acts of violence? That was the first thing. I didn't get. I wasn't getting uh, written up. I wasn't getting no 115s. I wasn't getting uh, no one twenty eights. Um and at the same time, uh, I was taking groups and classes. Uh I enrolled into the college program, got my uh AA degree. Um all of those things uh helped me uh get out of prison. Hmm. Yeah.
0: What do you feel CDCR can do better in helping prepare those that are incarcerated for society?
1: So so the very first thing they can do is make sure that you have all your essentials right so you're going to need uh depending on how much time you did right you're going to need a id you're going to need a, a social security card you know what i'm saying you're going to need a, a a medical card because we don't have medical insurance right certain essentials that you're going to need coming out of prison things that i didn't have coming out and i had to go get those things I didn't know how to do it. And mm-hmm. had I not had somebody show me how to do those things, then I would have never have gotten it or it would have took me longer to get to get those things. All right. So being able to have those things be- before you even get out would help someone a, a lot more mm-hmm. than having to do all those things once you actually come home, especially if you don't have nobody to help you. Right, You know what I'm saying? So a lot of brothers, you know what I'm saying, uh, come home and you know sometimes you know they may not have family out here in California they found their family may be have moved somewhere else, or they family may not want nothing to do with them, even though they may have changed mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, so they may not have the support that I actually had right but um, I think that having that you know what I'm saying would help them a lot, so now when they come home, only thing that they would have really really have to do is you know what I'm saying make sure all of those things are activated, you know what I'm saying, and then you can actually have. Uh, jump on you know what I'm saying find and work for yourself or you know what I'm saying starting your own business if that's what you want to do mm-hmm. right
0: your faith is very important to you yes. um did you have that faith before you went into prison no. or did you find that when you were incarcerated
1: i found it while i was incarcerated and matter of fact i found it while i was sitting in the sitting in the hole and Ashley in there and I'm reading, I'm, I'm sitting in a cell by myself and I'm in the cell by myself for maybe about 15 months. Right. So all I'm doing is just reading mm-hmm. books. I don't have no TV, no radio. Uh, I didn't even want a TV or radio. Now I'm doing in there is just reading books, just reading books. And it dawned on me that, you know, that I was really, really at my best uh, physically and mentally. Right. Because I was able to uh, interpret books. And explain them, you know what I'm saying, to my family members or explain them to, you know what I'm saying, my homeboys that I was in contact with at that time that, you know what I'm saying, college professors couldn't even mm. do. So I realized I was really at my best, but I just felt empty. I didn't feel right, right? So I remember reading this book uh by Yala Van Zandt called Spirit of a Man, right? And that's when I knew that I was lacking uh, spiritually. So I went on this endeavor to start, you know what I'm saying, researching and reading about different spiritual systems uh different religions I studied every religion Christianity Judaism Hinduism uh Zoroastrianism I studied everything Buddhism and then um I even studied uh, traditional African religions uh traditional Native American re- uh spiritual systems and the one that appealed to me the most the one that made the most sense to me was Islam mm. and that's the one I chose you know what I'm saying to embody you mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, within my being Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So being Muslim, obviously, Mm -hmm. in American society, there's um, misconceptions. And so what are some of those misconceptions that are targeted (laughs) at Muslims?
1: So there are a number of misconceptions. One, that we oppress women, that we hate Western society, um, that somehow that if you're not black, you can't be a Muslim. Uh, That's a... A heavy one especially mm. in prison a lot of a lot of the other races in prison think that uh islam is a black religion um mm. there are a number of misconceptions that we're all terrorists that we're all violent all these different things but really in actuality right i didn't stop being violent until i became a muslim right you know what i'm saying i was actually putting more care more thought more uh, more integrity into you know I'm saying trying to you know I'm saying find a peaceful means to conflict right um I didn't really engage in any violence as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Right. And in fact is that it actually helped me um uh, not to engage in violence. Mm-hmm. Right. You know am saying? Because in Islam, you know I'm saying, violence is the last resort, right? Only time I'm allowed to be violent, right, is to defend myself, to defend others, or to defend my property, right? So, but I think that's the the most common misconception is that we're all violent, that we're all terrorists. Right?
0: Have you experienced any um, backlash from being Muslim, from, uh, from society?
1: From society, no. Okay. right. But I do know that a lot of people, even my own family, were a little skeptical mm. uh, about me being uh Muslim. Um, and it wasn't until, you know what I'm saying, they actually seen the change in my behavior that they actually, you know what I'm saying, embraced it and accepted it, embraced it, and, and you know what I'm saying, and actually, you know what I'm saying, promoted, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but they had to actually see you know, what I'm saying the change in me first, mm-hmm. right? They, they was they was skeptical as well. But then that comes just from being misinformed about what right. Islam is and what it's about. But since I've been home and been a Muslim, being a Muslim in society, I haven't experienced any uh, backlash or anything like that. While I was in prison, I received a lot of backlash. Cause again, Why is that? So, again, they thought that, you know what I'm saying, that I, since being a Muslim, they thought I was a radical Muslim. Right they accuse me of being a uh, a terrorist right um and even uh sending my file to the f b i in order to wow yeah, in order to uh keep me in prison hmm. right is this so, this is
0: the c d c r basically yes. is is doing that yes interesting yeah so Obviously, since nine eleven, there's been a, a a larger fear of mm. of uh, Islam and, and Muslims. What do you feel can be done to qu- squash those fears for the the people that are out in society that are just. Literally scared because of what happened in nine eleven and terrorism uh, and so, so the, forth. The
1: the only thing that's going to, to quell that fear is uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's going to quell that fear is dialogue. Really getting to know and getting to understand, you know, I am saying who Muslims are, how they think, how they behave, mm-hmm. right? And that's only going to come through, you know, I observation and dialogue, right? So, uh, and the reason why I say that is is because, right? Um, when this FBI agent, you know what I'm saying, come to see me when in prison, he had no clue of what type of person I was, who I was, anything like that. Right. And then after speaking with me, and then after uh actually getting a chance to, you know what I'm saying, see what you know what I'm saying what my what Islam has done for my life, right? Uh he was, you know what I'm saying, impressed. Right. And he told me, Man, I wish you well when you go home. Right. So if if that can take place mm-hmm. with this FBI agent who, in his mind, all he knows is, you know, a violent criminal, mm-hmm. you know, if that can take place, then I'm sure that, you know what I'm saying, with someone who, you know what I'm saying, the average individual, just having a dialogue, a dialogue with that person would be beneficial and uh, would quell some of those fears that they may have. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with just me being misinformed and. Misunderstandings,
0: yeah. yeah. And how do you how do you meet at the table? How do you have those dialogues, like from Christians and other other religions, to mm-hmm. be able to come together and you know not only celebrate our differences but be able to understand one another? Right. How how is that? How how can we be able to start that? Well, so
1: the first thing is is that well, first I don't I'm I never try to force those conversations. Mm-hmm. Right? What I do is is I do everything that I know that I'm supposed to do. Right, meaning you know, I'm saying I'm respectful, I'm kind, I'm compassionate, right? Uh, I do all of those things. Uh, I'm compromising, right? I'm helpful, Um, and so when people ask me, you know, I'm saying after observing my actions for a while, when people ask me, that's when I tell them, yes, I'm a Muslim, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and then we can start this conversation. Uh, But I don't ever try to force the conversation. Yeah, right. Um, I think that you know, the best thing that we can do, right, is just allow our actions to display to the world, you know what I'm saying, what type of people we are. Mm-hmm. Re- we really are. Yeah. Right. And there's even a saying, you know what I'm saying, from one of the Imams, uh Imam Jafar Salaam, He even says that, you know what I'm saying, your dawah, meaning your, you know what I'm saying, your uh teaching to the world, your dawah, you know what I'm saying, should come from your actions. And not from your tongue, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what he basically was telling us is, you know what I'm saying, be, you know what I'm saying, what you want other people to see, yeah, right? Be that, live that, you know. So that's what I try to do, mm-hmm. right? And I allow my actions to determine, you know what I'm saying, who I am, at, to display who I am mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: As somebody who's lived the the gang life, you know, currently, mm-hmm. you know, black and brown um, violence or violence is rising in the black and Brown communities. Mm -hmm. Um, what can be done to be able to stop that violence?
1: Uh, so again, that's a very, uh, that's a question that has many dynamics to it. Uh, but I will say this, um, I think the first thing is getting to this nihilistic, uh, feelings that most young people have when i say nihilism so nihilism is you know what i'm saying when you have basically rejected any moral or any moral code don't have any values that you think are you know what i'm saying uh worth having and you basically feel that life is you know what i'm saying meaningless um so if you don't care about your own life, you know what I'm saying, you're not going to care about the lives of others, even those people that you say you love,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And if you don't care about your own life, you're not going to care about their lives either. So then it, it becomes easier for you to take the life of another human being, right? Um, it becomes easier for you to put yourself in harm's way when you have no love for yourself. So I think that really getting into uh, the nihilism that's so prevalent among black, black and brown uh, youth, um, until we deal with that, we're always gonna have this problem of violence. So the uh gangs have always been there, right? You know what I'm saying? We just didn't have all of these different names for them that mm-hmm. we have today, right? But mm-hmm. the gangs has always been there. They always been a, you know, it was like I was talking about that camaraderie, mm-hmm. right? And you so you see these groups of uh four or five, you know what I'm saying, young men. Right they may not have you know what I'm saying the gang mentality per se, right they may not have um um a name or a moniker or anything like that, however, that camaraderie that they have that they share with each other, that bond that they share with each other right has formed them into right that's that same thing, right, but um, they just haven't just taken on you know what I'm saying those names or those monikers right. And so that's always been there. You have this desire, this, this, this human desire for most people who, you know what I'm saying, want to be a part of something. This is why we have organizations and this is why we have, you know what I'm saying, country clubs and whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Because people have this thing where they want to be accepted, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be a, a part of something, right? Right. So that, that's never going to go away, right? But I think that we can... uh have that, right? But not necessarily have the negativity that comes with that. You know what I'm saying? Or you know what I'm saying when it comes to, you know what I'm saying, uh uh the poor, you know what I'm saying, black and brown communities. You know what I'm saying? You could still have those organizations. You could still have those, you know what I'm saying, uh, that camaraderie, you know what I'm saying, with those in your community, right? And all we'd have to do now is just figure out a way to take away you know what I'm saying? That self-hatred, right? Or that nihilistic behavior that comes, you know what I'm saying, we just being in in, in those ghettos. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Do you feel like society has kind of molded it to be that way? I feel way that, that society has played
1: I feel that society has played a major role in that. Mm-hmm. right? And I, they continue to play a major role in that to a point to where they even uh celebrate or uh um, it's a word I'm looking for. Where they actually promote, mm. you know, what I'm saying that type of behavior, mm-hmm. right? You hear it, you see it in the movies, you hear it in the music, right? Where you know what I mean. It's, yeah, they, it's, they promote this yeah. type of behavior, mm-hmm. right? And also, they can make money off of it, mm. right? You know what I mean. So, I think that society has played a role in that. I think that politicians, right, haven't done anything in order to help stop that. And the reason why is because two reasons: they don't care. And it doesn't fill their pockets.
0: Yeah, it's moneymaker. Right. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? So um,
0: so how do we then as a community, see, knowing this, that this has been something that's a structure that's been developed in, mm. in our American culture, how do we shift that to make it better to right. be able to level up so that you're th- that the black and brown communities are not in the ghettos and that right. they have you know a better area to be able to see that their life there's more to life than just gangs or this right. that and the other.
1: So I think that uh so first of all you want to be able to uh, so thing I learned in psychology is Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. right? So, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very first thing that you have to take care of is those basic needs, right? Food, yeah. shelter, clothing, safety, right? Yeah. safety, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? So, that's the very first thing we have to deal with because no one's going to listen to you until those things are actually met, mm-hmm. right? And after we meet those things, you know, what I mean? the only way we're going to meet those things is by generating our own wealth, right? Um, and the only way we're going to be able to generate our own wealth is, you know what I'm saying, through some form of business uh financial literacy, you know what I mean, things like that right um but once we meet those needs, then we can start getting into uh other things that may you know what I'm saying contribute to lessening right uh the violence per se right Because I really don't I really don't think that we're just going to end just just stop you know what I'm saying people from being in gangs. Mm -hmm. I really don't think that that's going to happen, but what we, the activity that takes place in gangs, I think that we can limit that, you know what I'm saying, and bring that down a notch, Mm -hmm. right? I think that that can happen, Mm -hmm. right? And you see it today, right? You know what I'm saying? With today's uh, motorcycle uh, club, there are more motorcycle clubs now than ever, right? But then that goes back to that want to be a part of something, Right. right? But then motorcycle clubs are known for you know, saying their community outreach, mm-hmm. right? They're known for, you know what I'm saying, their uh legal status, right? They're known for a number of things that are very positive in the community as opposed to uh what gang members are have become known for. Yeah, it's right? like
0: switching that to be able to right. still be able to quote have a gang and have that family camaraderie but right. just doing it not towards violence. Exactly,
1: yeah. right? And then more, you know what I'm saying, community-based uh help, right? You know what I'm saying? Making sure that the community is safe, making sure that the community needs are being met. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the gangs have gotten away from that. Mm-hmm. Right. Where in the past, it used to be that way, where, you know what I'm saying? They would, you know what I'm saying? Make sure, like, I remember, you, like you were saying, the park, they yeah, would yeah. be called for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I remember too, right, when growing up, Where, you know what I'm saying, my older homies, we want to go to the movies or we want to go to a football game or wherever the case may be. And they used to give us money and, and, you know what I'm saying, and give us rides just to make sure that we got down there safe. Hmm. Right. And we just don't see that no more. You know what I mean? You know, so.
0: And why why do you think that is?
1: I think that. like I say, you know what I'm saying, the the nihilism has taken a hold not only of the younger generation, but also the other older generation who feel that you know what I'm saying? the younger generation can't be talked to. Hmm. Right. Interesting. You know what I mean? Um but who's trying to, right?
0: Do you think it's also resources have gone out of those communities that there aren't the resources there anymore? Uh,
1: I would that, that's definitely part of, yes. Okay. I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay yeah resources mm-hmm. yeah
0: as an an activist what is something that you would want other cultures to be aware of a black activist mm-hmm. to be aware of um and where what areas that you think that they can be able to help
1: Well, if the, the very first thing is is recognizing that you know what I'm saying that we all want the same thing right you know what I'm saying so just like I was talking about maslow's hierarchy of needs we all want our needs to be met mm-hmm. right you know what I'm saying um and we just like any other human being right we we just want our needs to be met. That's the very first thing. The second thing is is that uh, my blackness or you know what I'm saying what I hold on to you'm know saying what I take pride in right, is not necessarily you know what I'm saying in opposition to other races and other cultures mm-hmm. right uh in fact i was just talking to uh one of my uh supervisors at work and i was telling him you know saying that the more i learned about myself the less conflict i had with other people right the more you know saying uh history i learned you know saying about african-american history and about african history in general right the more i learned about that stuff pulled me away from you know saying that gang lifestyle as well right so uh, and then, you know what I'm saying, the more, you know what I'm saying, I learned about myself, the more I want to learn about others, right? So, you know what I'm saying, it's not necessarily just because, you know what I'm saying, I hold on to it and you'll see, you know what I'm saying, the, the Kufi and the Muslim garb and, you know what I'm saying, the African uh, garb and things like that. It doesn't necessarily put me in opposition to mm-hmm. other cultures, right? And in fact, you know what I'm saying, it actually helps me embrace other cultures right but it's also
0: celebrating you and the culture that you're proud of as well too yes right yeah Um. since um getting out of of prison what have you been doing now in society
1: so right now i uh i just i work as an alcohol and drug counselor um that's one of the best decisions i ever made Mm. right i there is nothing i wouldn't There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. I actually really enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. right? I like the people that I work with. You know what I'm saying? I have a great supervisor. right? Uh, He's a very good teacher as well. Um, And then there are other things that I would like to do in my own community. I just haven't had the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what type of pushback I'm going to receive. Right? And... Unfortunately, I think that a lot of the pushback is not gonna come from the people in the community. I think it's gonna come from the city. Hmm. Right. So but what
0: are some things that you're wanting to do that you feel you're gonna have pushback on?
1: Well, so one of my well, one of my little cousins, he is the director and the coordinator at the park in our community. Right, And I was telling him about some of the ideas that I have, right, especially in dealing with you know what I'm saying the younger generation who who are still involved in the gangs and the drugs and things like that. so I was telling him about some of the ideas that I have, right, and so the very first thing that he had told me was was that man, you know what I'm saying the city is not gonna give us money for that right I said so I told him, I said, man, um, you'm know saying if we do this the way that I think that we can do it, we won't even need the money
0: mm-hmm. from the
1: city, right, and then. That's when it dawned on me that, you know what I'm saying? Once they get wind of what we're trying to do, then that's when we would try to, that's when we would get the pushback. Um, But one of the things I wanted to do was just, I remember growing up, they had these uh, camping trips, fishing trips, uh, all these different things, you know what I'm saying? With the older guy who was running the park at that time, right? You know what I'm saying? His name was James as well, right? And they had Fishing with James, Lunch with James, right? They had all of those things, Mm -hmm. right, when we was growing up, right? And those things, you know what I'm saying, actually helped a lot of the young guys in our community, right?
0: To do something and kind of stay out of trouble, but to do something else. Yeah, so
1: you could still be a part of that community without necessarily having to go towards, you know what I'm saying, the negativity. Right, and I and it, it, it helped a lot of those a lot of the guys that he used to take on those trips, right? Uh, they end up, you know, what I'm saying going a different way. My little cousin being one of them, mm. right? Mm. You know, at one point in time when he was younger, he, you know, I'm saying was headed in the wrong direction, right? We got a little tutelage from older guys in our community. He went a totally different direction. If you see him now, you would never have guessed that he was, you know, what I'm saying headed that that you know, down the wrong path, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there are a number of guys in our community just like that. And it's unfortunate, you know what I'm saying, that the, the older guy that I'm talking about, uh, James, he lost his life actually saving one of the guys' life, you know what I'm saying, at the Colorado River, mm. right? So, you know what I'm saying, just being able and seeing this young man, you know what I'm saying, do things with his life, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's just, there are things that we can do that we don't need, you absolutely, you know, absolutely. the city's help in doing that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, drug and alcohol counseling. Did you get that while you were incarcerated, or did you get that? When I got you were that out? while I was incarcerated. Okay. Right.
1: It's called the OMCP program. Right. Offender uh, mentor uh, certification program. Hmm. Now, the reason why they called it that, right, is because the COs, the correctional officers, didn't want us to be called counselors. Right. Hmm. So they came with that offender mentor certification program. Right. Interesting. And, right. So
0: So what made you want to go into drug and alcohol counseling?
1: Uh there was a counselor there, uh, by the name of Mr. Edelman. Um he had told me, he was like, man, you know what I'm saying, you should uh put your application in for the OMCP program. And I told him like, man, I already did that. I'm not gonna do that again. You know what I'm saying? They shot me down. Why did the they shoot why they shoot you down? Was, they shot me down because uh I had just been found suitable for parole and uh i was on my way home so they was like no right but then the governor snatched my date um and two years later this i'm having this conversation with mr edelman and he was like man put your application in again mm. right so i'm like man why why would i do that right he was like man i think you'll be a good counselor right and so i was like okay i'll, I'll try it Man, i put my application in again and um uh, they the OMCP program get over 5,000 applications a year, mm. right? Uh, they're only going to choose 32 in our group, right? And I was one of those 32, mm. right?
0: Yeah. And then learning that curriculum, you're just like, yeah, this yeah. is definitely uh,
1: for me. Yeah, a 14-month curriculum, we have some of the best teachers that we can ha- actually have, Um we had a, a supervisor. His name was Tom. Tom Gorham. He, you know, he he was something else, right? <laughs> he was, yeah, he was something else. But he was very, very good, very instrumental, and very instrumental in some of the work that I actually do now. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Now I'm I'm intrigued. You had said that you um, put your application in, but your date was snatched. So, what mm. happened? So you actually got found suitable from the board, right? But the governor took it away. Yes. So what was his reason? Who, which governor was it? And what was his reason for taking taking it away? Yeah.
1: So a lot of people don't know, but it was Governor Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had, so, well, I would say this. Uh, I went in front of the board in 2013. No, 2012, right? I went in front of the board in 2012. I get a three-year denial, right? Um, at the end of... 2013, right around, i say right around October, November, um, I get a notice that I was going to be going back in front of the board early. Hmm. Right? So in March of 2014, I go back in front of the board. Uh, we go in there, we sit in front of that panel for almost six hours. Wow. Right. It was almost six hours. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember going over there uh, at two I didn't get back to the yard till nine o'clock that night. All right. So, um, but I was found suitable and, um, it was the best feeling ever. Right. And then I say, so that was in March, August of that same year. I get the notice in the mail that the governor, you know what I'm saying? Has, uh, Recent took back, uh, resented the board's decision and is not going to grant me parole.
0: Did he say why?
1: He gave four reasons why, right? Um, all four reasons are against the law.
2: Wow. Case law
1: that's already said. The very first reason he gave was he said that, um, that he talked about the heinousness and the callousness of the crime itself, okay. right? Now, the reason why, you know what I'm saying, that's not a means of denying parole is because. There's nothing I can do about that. It's a fixed
0: point. There's nothing I could change that that will always be that. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. So, and there's actually case law. Yes. Talking about that. Exactly. Um, The second reason he gave, he said that most of my self-help was fairly recent. Now, I don't know what fairly recent means, right? But that's what he said. So now... Mind but also
0: you, R didn't come into the fact. So
1: so now mind you that I've started really beginning myself up around 2008. Now this is 2014. So how was fairly recent. Right. Right. It's been six years. And I had a number of groups and classes and things like that, along with the college degrees. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't understand that. But they got case law stating that, again, right, fairly recent doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying, that he doesn't have it.
0: And it doesn't apply. Right. I mean, exactly. I still right? that's still six years of knowledge that I've gained. Right. So. so
1: the third reason he gave, he said that uh, I had a moderate on my psych report, right? Again, you know what I mean? Case law stating that, you know what I'm saying, uh, a moderate, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, doesn't mean that I'm going to get out and commit more crime. In fact, it means the opposite of that. Yeah. Right. And then the last reason he gave, uh, what was the last reason? Um, Oh, he said that I had a rudimentary understanding of the 12 steps, right? Again, there Mm. are case laws stating that that's all that you need is a basic understanding. That's what rudimentary means, basic, right? Yeah. yeah. That's all that you need. So
0: with all of those things being illegal that, that couldn't be able to do why could you not be able to then uh because that go was
1: back. that was the reason why he gave on paper oh okay the real reason why I was denied parole or why he uh snatched my date was is that I, there were a number of kites dropped on me while I was on the yard basically saying that I was a radical muslim and that oh. I was teaching radical islam on the yard Right, I didn't find that out until I got to another prison. Hmm. Right,
0: but that's whether that was his real intention or not. What right. he put on paper as for why you were denied right. was not feasible. Right, and so could you have been able to then go back and be able to say these are all against you know laws that I are written? That. Okay, and then what I happened that. with that?
1: So they sh- they shot my appeal down.
0: How is that possible?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't that know. If we're talking about the law, right? You know wow. what I'm saying. I don't know. Just going off the law, I don't know how they could do it, right? But wow, they shot my appeal down.
0: So yeah. how long did you serve after you were denied before you went back?
1: To that the was 2014. I did five more years after that. Five more years. Yeah.
0: When were, and when did you get out?
1: 2019.
0: 2019. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. That is amazing.
1: Right. And they still try to keep me in there. Like I said, so the
0: Oh, did you still have problems? uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh there was there was a number of kites dropped on me while I was in because I went from Chukawaka to uh Solano. And uh the governor snapped my date while I was in Chuckawanga. I didn't find out the reason, the real reason why until I got to Solano. Mm. Right. But even while I was in Solano, I was kept uh went in front of the parole board uh three times before I got found suitable. Right, every time that they denied me parole was based off of somebody dropping a kite on me, basically saying that I was a radical Muslim. Right. And it was these same COs who took my file and sent that file to the FBI. Right. So then when the FBI, you know what I'm saying, agent comes to see me, he says, Man, I don't know how this file even got to my desk.
2: Wow. He said, Clearly,
1: you know what I'm saying. It, he said, clearly, just from me talking to you, I could see the change that Islam has is done with your life.
2: Yeah. He
1: said, I don't even know why this is even on, or why, we, why I'm even here. This is what he told me. Right. I don't even know why I'm even here. Mm. Right. He said, if I can see, you know what I'm saying, the change. Right. I'm pretty sure they can see the change. All right. And I just told him, I said, man, they just don't want me to get out of prison. All right. Mercy. Right.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, we can't just meet at the table and not share a meal together. So I asked James what he would like to eat, and he said something with fish. So I made him a special dish. I'm going to go grab that right now. Okay, so I made James a lemon teriyaki salmon with brown rice and quinoa and asparagus. So go ahead and try it and let me know what you think.
1: All right. Thank you.
2: good.
0: came out pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. James, why don't you tell me, what do you love so much about being a drug and alcohol counselor?
1: Um, just seeing guys, men and women, who are uh, head- steeped into their addiction and just watching them and seeing, you know what I'm saying, uh, the this light come on for them like they Mm -hmm. want something better for themselves they want something different for themselves Mm -hmm. and actually put in the work to try to get that accomplished that's like the 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 most awesomest feeling in the world yeah just helping people and really i'm not doing anything that's uh like really major right all the thing i'm doing is just giving them information Mm -hmm. and then helping them just process that information and a lot of the things that they uh want and desire for themselves it just has to just be brought out right because it's buried by so much traumatic uh so trauma. much trauma yeah. uh so much uh stuff you know the trauma is the beginning of it right what gets us out there in the beginning but then the stuff that takes place while we're out there you know what I'm saying, it just gets buried mm-hmm. so when they reach down they find that again it's just, it's just the best feeling in the world. Mm. Yeah.
0: Were you, were you in, in um, your times that you were um, doing the gang life or even incarcerated, were you ever doing drugs at all too? Yes. Okay. Right. So you had yes. addictions as well too. I had
1: addictions, especially alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Right. And one of the things I come to realize about myself was, is that um, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain that I was experiencing that I was going through and I covered it up with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. right? So uh, whenever I was high or drunk, I didn't have to feel those things, mm-hmm. right? Or whenever I committed acts of violence, I just felt better, right? So instead of learning how to uh, identify that emotion and, you know what I'm saying, actually label that emotion, what it is, what is it that I'm feeling? Um, and then learning how to manage that emotion without uh, any uh, negativity. I was never taught those things, so I you know, I just I knew how to get rid of it. And the best way to get rid of it was to go beat somebody up or um uh, get go get high, go get drunk, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Right. And once I learned, you know what I'm saying, how to properly manage my emotions, right? Um, there I found myself less and less um
0: Wanting to reach for those things yes. to, to to bury it down or whatnot. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, James, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and sharing your story. It's mm-hmm. really been a pleasure. Before we start getting our real grub on, <laughs> um, are there any last uh, remarks or anything that you would like to be able to say?
1: Um, so, I have uh, a number of teachers who are still in prison. Um, some of them have come home but I have a, a lot of them that are still in prison and I just want to let you let you brothers know that you know what I'm saying you're not forgotten mm-hmm. you're, you know what I'm saying well loved and you know what I'm saying my success is your success mm-hmm. All right.
0: absolutely yeah. thank you so much you're do you welcome. have any uh, social media handles or a website or email that people can be able to reach you especially uh-huh. if somebody has a family or a loved one that's suffering from uh, drug yes. and alcohol
1: so um my social media all up under my my name, James Murrow, um, whether it's on Facebook or on Instagram, you can find me as James Murrow on those. Uh, as far as if you're a family member or even yourself need help with your addiction, uh, you can reach me at uh, 213-388-5423. That's 213-388-5423. Um, And all you have to do is just call and and let them know, hey, you know, i seen this guy. He said that if I needed some help, you know, to call this number and someone will help you, if not myself.
0: Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just want to encourage you and thank you for all that you're doing for mm-hmm. the community um, with the drug and alcohol counseling and encourage you to actually do the things like you said you wanted to at the park. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want what city or other people are going to say to discourage mm-hmm. you because I think you have an amazing idea and I think you could uh-huh. really touch and bless uh, more lives than you already are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just I, I yeah. thank you so much and wish you all the best. Thank you so much for joining us at this episode of Breaking Bread. Make sure to check us in at lockedin.info to see how you can be able to share your story, as well as how you can get involved in helping Anthony Hemphill get resentenced, as well as BPH reform. I'll see you next time on Breaking Bread.